the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast from Lloyd's List Intelligence, delivering you expert analysis on the stories shaping shipping. To find out more about our actionable maritime insight, data, and analytics, visit lloydslistintelligence.com. Shipping does like to talk, and this week we have talked our way through sanctions, geopolitical risk, diversity, digitalization, and of course, the big green elephant in the room at every event, decarbonisation. So, as London International Shipping Week puts the champagne flutes in the dishwasher and sweeps up the last crumbs of canapes from the floor, I have gathered the diligent and frankly knackered noise list editorial staff around the podcast microphone for a short reflection on what they have learned this week, if anything. Joining me on this final chinwag of the week in what has been a thoroughly enjoyable series of podcasts sponsored by our friends at DNV, in no particular order, we have our senior analyst and Dark Fleet botherer-in-chief, Michelle Vizibotten, our data queen, Bridget Dyken, our resident sustainability guru, Ennis Tunagur, our multimedia editor, Declan Bush, our chief correspondent, Richard Clayton, our insurance editor, David Osler, and because he's finally realised that London is much better than New York, our US correspondent, Toma Renan, who was in town for the week. But I think I'm going to start with Michelle. Um, What's your key takeaway from the week, Michelle? Thank you, Richard. I had a really good at London International Shipping Week. And of course, there were the usual conversations about decarbonisation and seafarers and, and a lot of the things we've heard before. But what I wanted to raise, the big um, glaring problem that we have in shipping to me and to any of the women I talked to at International Shipping Week was the lack of diversity and how much more still needs to be done. Now, I've got two things to talk about. Firstly, I use as a proxy for diversity and attitudes towards diversity, the panelists and speakers panels that are on at the major conferences. And when I looked at the the conference organizers conference at the IMO and the Capital Link program, very, very low rates of female speakers. In fact, at Capital Link, there are about eight or nine women and five of us were on the one panel. Which brings me to another point. I attended at Norton Rose Fulbright a, an event that talked about diversity and what could be done. And we discussed the need to call out um, some of the inequalities and the attitudes in shipping, which I've often done in the past. So I'm going to call out something that happened at Capital Link. Um, I was on a panel. I was one of five women. There was one man. And three of those women were representing the U.S., UK and EU governments on sanctions implementation for that panel. Now, after the panel, and I tell this story with the permission of the women involved, the male guest on the panel who had spoken over many of the panellists and had basically dominated the session, proceeded to call those women girls repeatedly and then made a joke that he was older than their combined age. Now, I use as a proxy once again for whether or not that's appropriate, is would you do that to a man? And would you call those three very senior young men, boys, and then joke about their age? No, you wouldn't. So I'm calling it out for what it is. And to say, sponsors of these events, please insist on some sort of diversity. It's embarrassing for shipping now. Um, even if you look at you know, International Energy Week or IP Week, when you look at their conference program, somebody has got the diversity message and there's always a woman on one of the panels. So so we're representative. 
So, so women are represented. And it was the talk of conversation amongst women at London International Shipping Week. So we've got to do, we've, we've come so far, but we have to do better. So my rant is now over, Richard, and I'll let you get on with the podcast. It's a fair point. It's not a good look. It really isn't. Um, shout out to Lloyd's Register for one of the more interesting panels that I saw, which happened to be an all-female panel, um, but genuinely insightful across a range of subjects. It wasn't there to be a DEI uh, panel. Exactly. It was there to be an interesting panel, and uh, it, was, it stood out because of it, I think. And that, that's the whole thing. It's, you know, people say, oh, there's no women. There, there are women. It's just there's the old network of, you know, so-and-so, I, I call it the virtuous circle, virtuous circle of male participation. And, um, you know, I have to say a lot of the women that I spoke to, we're just sick of it. And, you know, I think now we, you know, I've, I've been known to harangue conference organisers about this and, and some of the women I spoke to do the same as well. But now we're actually talking to the sponsors and we're taking it up a notch because this is just not good enough. And especially when you have, you know, what millennials call acts of microaggression happening to, to women who expect better now, which is why they, you know, the, these three women were from outside the shipping industry, dealing with the shipping industry, and they're not used to being talked like that. And they were shocked. I mean, for me, I can probably live with it. I, you know, it, it, it wouldn't have affected me that it, in the way that it affected these women, but they were surprised enough to come to me and say something about it. Um, well, before I um, uh, leave you, Michelle, and uh, go over to the um, fellow members of the patriarchy on this uh, discussion panel, um, Bridget and Michelle, you've both been attending um, a number of events where sanctions and risk compliance have effectively been at the heart of the discussions. And I think it's interesting that these are probably some of the higher profile discussions we're having this week, alongside decarbonisation, obviously. But you know, we are in the point where, you know, only this morning I was writing about the US issuing more sanctions against Russia. We've got a number of uh, things bubbling under uh, with regards to, obviously, Iran, but also Venezuela. Um, the, the Russian sanctions are, if anything, getting more complex. And I think what we've heard this week is that actually there is a great deal of concern in the industry about what is and isn't now acceptable. Um, Bridget, you were with me on Monday at the Risk Forum, where uh, I think we probably started this conversation. Any, any impressions from you? Yes, absolutely. I think one of the main takeaways for me was that how much the lawyers are actually struggling with um, the sanctions rules and trying to to keep up to date. And that, you know, someone jokingly said in one of the sessions, like it's not a good look for for lawyers who are saying, you know, this is my job and it and it's difficult for me. Um, I think right now the consensus is that it's almost an easier point because there's agreement between the EU and G7, but what is the risk of them kind of diverging? And then how is that going to make it even, you know, more complicated? Um, also people talking about the EU um, not necessarily having the practice and experience to design sanctions in a way um, that make them easy to follow um, or, you know, super effective. Um, but, you know, we had someone else on the panel saying that, this was kind of the purpose of it, though. They want to complicate things. They want to make it confusing um, so that people kind of do their own self-sanctioning in a way and pull back business. Um, so I thought um, I thought that was a really interesting takeaway. Another interesting um, factor that I found was actually there was a lot of the regulators in the audiences. We had some speakers during the week. And Michelle, I think you were on a panel uh, where we had representatives from OFAC and we had various people in the room. 
Do you get the impression that there is at least now a slightly more open and honest dialogue between the regulators in terms of what they're trying to do and the industry struggling to keep up? I definitely think that OFAC and OFSI, which is the UK equivalent of OFAC, the Office of Foreign Assets Control, and the EU regulators are definitely trying to get close to the shipping industry and understand how they view and measure the risk because the G7 price cap, I think, was a was a really big moment because they had to come to terms with the complexities of how foreign policy affects oil trades, knowing that if they get it wrong, it's going to increase the oil price and lead to global inflation. So it's going to have a really big political impact. Um, I've seen regulators at events and seminars and wanting to to talk to the industry both officially and informally for the last 18 months. In, in fact, probably since the Biden administration came in, it kind of heralded a new approach from, from OFAC about how they dealt with the industry. And of course, the EU has had to do that because it's implementing its Fit for 55 program. So, you know, to see regulators now at conference events is, is almost normal. And that's a really good place for the industry to be in. Yeah. Uh, no longer uh, can I make the joke about when people see the U.S. regulators coming their way, do they utter OFAC? Or call them, well, they, they just well, they just get called girls instead. But anyway, I promised I would leave that right there. Maritime decarbonisation targets are becoming more ambitious, and the journey ahead is both complex and full of uncertainties. DMV's latest Maritime Forecast to 2050 report investigates all decarbonisation options to help shipping plot the right course. This is the decisive decade for shipping. Actions taken now will shape our future for generations. Download the report at dnv.com and join us on this journey. Um, okay, let's move on to the other big ticket topic uh, of the week, decarbonisation. Um, uh, Declan, Ennis, Soma, you've all been uh, knocking around the conferences with me. I, I think it's fair to say that you know there is certainly some concern that the industry is struggling with the short-term measures. Lots of, you know, big blue sky thinking about what happens in 2050, although, as I've already noted in several op-eds in Roy's list this week, the people that are making projections about 2050 are, are not going to be um, around to uh, uh, be held accountable for the uh, optimism of their um, outlooks, given that they're certainly not going to be working and let's be honest, probably not going to be watching the uh, outcomes from this mortal realm. Um, what about the short-term stuff? Um, are you getting the same sense of concern that I am? Declan, start with you. Yeah, look, the detail of the decarbonisation challenge is much clearer than it used to be. And the industry seems to broadly welcome the guidance from the IMO after years of uncertainty about how strict its targets would be. So in the short term, that's good. But with that awareness is a clear thread of increasing doubt about the future targets in general and the 2030 targets in particular. Um, I was at COP26 a few years back. This was far more downbeat. But that's also because unlike at COP26, there was plenty of substance here. Um, last week, we had the class societies come out with their various sustainability outlooks to 2030, 20, 2050, generally quite upbeat angles followed by thousands of words of caveats mostly about the supply of future fuels which there's serious serious doubt around and i might add much of that doubt is completely out of the shipping industry's control um 
And it might have been some of the early mornings we were all subjected to, but with every panel talk and coffee break discussion about methanol and ammonia, you'd sort of see the exhaustion on people's faces and kind of cast their eyes down and say, oh, can we actually do this? I think we're, I think we're in trouble. Um, so on the, on the bright side, we do have more detail. We have our methanol ships, however clean or otherwise they may be. And everyone you talk to now has a strong opinion or several about future fuels, whatever job they do. Um, the other thing I notice is we're seeing carbon capture and nuclear mentioned more and more. There have always been huge and well-founded doubts about those technologies for commercial shipping. Um, the technology may be possible, maybe, but I can't help wondering if it just reflects how desperate we are now. Um, I'll probably leave it there. Quite possibly, quite possibly. I mean, it's interesting. I spoke on the podcast earlier to uh, 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 at least one of the class societies about this. And the last time that anybody was talking seriously about nuclear was about six months prior to Fukushima. All of the class societies had nuclear power strategies on the table. They were all pushing it as an agenda. And then it went into the top drawer and has not been seen since. And it's been a very long cycle since. So it's interesting to note that nuclear is coming back in conjunction with carbon capture as one of the, uh, I hesitate to use get out clause as a term, but um, it's certainly the bit that is being proposed to um, fill the gap between what we know we can do and what is realistically going to be achievable um, between now and 2050. Uh, Toma, you're, you're the international element of London International Shipping Week. You're over from uh, uh, you know your usual home in New York. What, what did you make of the week? Any, any, any thoughts from you? Uh, yeah, I think you said, uh, you know, there's the industry is showing some uh, concerns. And, and I think, you know, from having sort of sidelines chat away from the, the panels, I'd say it's it's a lot more like um, deep skepticism um, on shipping's decarbonization agenda. I think when you have almost every, I don't want to say every, but almost every conversation I had on the sidelines with, you know, people from various parts of the industry uh, voice you know, much skepticism, not because they're climate change deniers. They just don't see how these short-term or long-term goals are uh, feasible where we stand now um, from various reasons, from, uh, you know, the costs or or whether consumers, you know, some costs say when we're talking about box shipping, whether consumers will want to pay for the extra costs that are going to be uh, borne on them or even things like, you know, when you talk about shore power, the amount of pressure that it puts on the grid, and that was just a, some of some of the examples. So, my what I took from this was um, sort of deep skepticism that sometimes you don't always hear on the on the headline panels. Mm. No, I, I I fully concur. I, whether it is deep skepticism or, as as Dagny suggests, a, a just a genuinely more realistic conversation that we're having now. I, I'm I'm minded to be more optimistic because I'm I'm aware that I am increasingly sounding like an old curmudgeon. Um, uh, Ennis, you're, you're living this day to day as sustainability editor. Are, are you anything, hearing anything new this week, or is this just the regurgitation of old views being put on panels? Do you think? Well, I definitely felt like the shipping industry is still digesting what the International Maritime Organization has come up with in July because for years they've been complaining about uncertainty around regulations from IMO and national governments. But now they have some uh, playbook to go 
to go along with. But I think in the last two months, they haven't really made up their minds and revised their own climate strategies in line with the IMO. So that's one of my main concerns from this week. And I think earlier in the week, UMass, the maritime consultancy, came up with a report suggesting the industry now has to play its part and revise their strategy and come up with more ambitious goals. Even maybe the pioneers that we call them need to actually ratchet up their uh, ambition. Um, but so far, we haven't seen that. And obviously, you know, Maersk has come up with the uh, timely uh dual dual fuel methanol power ship being named in in Copenhagen this week. But we still need to see a lot more from the industry to actually believe that 2030, 2040 goals will be be achieved. Um, And moving on, I think one of the main problems uh, I've seen this week was, again, on the same point, we we don't see enough uh, being done on energy efficiency and other measures. I mean, of course, there, there's there's the good and the bad. We also saw uh, Cargill coming up with the uh, wind sails uh, announcement recently, and the Pixis Ocean uh, was is still on its way to Brazil, I think, on its maiden voyage. There, there are some good good developments, but also I think we need to see a lot more from other industry players on on the on the climate change challenge. Indeed. Uh, I agree. One wind sail ship does not a decarbonization revolution make, uh, I think. Um, uh, Dave, uh, I guess as, the, as last in the queue, you're going to have to sort of pick up a few sort of uh, stragglers uh, in terms of uh, things. What are your key takeaways? And do you think it is perhaps significant that out of all of the comments that everybody has come up with so far in this podcast, Nobody is well, I guess the purpose London of London International Shipping Week um, is to set out London's stall to the rest of the world. Um, you know, perhaps the emphasis should be on international rather than on London. Um, and from what I can see, it seems to have done a reasonably good job of that. Um, in one of the sessions that I went to at uh, Tower One at Lloyd's of London, was coincided with their uh, Lloyd's Agency Network international event. So they certainly had the guests in from all around the world to catch up on some of the developments that might be expecting them. Um, Whether UK London gets mentioned very much or not, um, hats off to the team who organised it. I think they did a great job. No, I think you're right. I think, you know, it, it, it is now an event, it's a mature event, and it's starting to feel like when you go to North Shipping or Posidonia or one of the big uh, waypoints in our year, that it's not just about the domestic uh, scene touting for business. This is about an international discussion, which I think is to the benefit of London International Shipping Week. Um, the fact that it's happened, you know, the point that the uh, British government is imploding and there is a UK government that is turning up with absolutely no new policies to offer for the maritime industry or indeed any tangible level of support. I do have some good news on the government front. At the gala dinner last night, the Transport Secretary gave a much shorter speech than Robert Courts did two years ago when he was nearly booed off stage by the media table. So there's something the government managed to achieve. Well done, Mark Harper. Richard. How's London Shipping Week been for you? Uh, and what, what are your key takeaways? 
you know, I think this has been the best London Shipping Week for me, and I've focused my attention on on putting the S into ESG. What we've discovered is the uh, COVID crew change crisis, which sounds and feels like a long time ago, really has repercussions for, for now, because an awful lot of seafarers left the sea, and we've got to fill those gaps. So with new skills coming in and needing to to be uh, brought to the industry because of decarbonisation, where are we going to get those skills from? Um, so there is a huge crisis, a shortage of seafarers uh, about to hit our industry fairly soon. And what I got most out of uh, London Shipping Week was the recruitment, retention and rewards necessary to bring in millennials and Gen Z, which is very different from uh, my own generation. They're motivated differently. They they expect more from their jobs. But at the same time, when seafarers come ashore, they bring those skills for harbour masters and pilots and risk management specialists and trainers and all that kind of stuff. So there is, for me, a very close link between training the next generation and then their career progression in the industry. It's been a fascinating series of discussions. Everybody's making the same point. There is a crisis of seafaring going to hit our industry. And that, I'm afraid, is it. Thank you to everybody who has welcomed us to a mind-boggling array of events this week. Thank you to DNV for sponsoring these podcasts. And most of all, thank you for listening. Until next week, when we will be back to the usual weekly schedule of Friday podcasts, stay safe out there.